Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Are you looking for a way to prepare your partner for birth? Well, let me tell you about my signature course, Dad Days, D-A-Z-E, because let me tell you, having a baby can definitely put some funky energy into your home and around your birth, but only if your partner is unsure how to properly support you. In the Dad Days course, I'm going to prepare your partner for everything that they need to know to help you have a smoother pregnancy, an easy labor, and to help your family transition after baby is here. We're going to talk about the importance of emotional support, how they can provide you pain relief in labor, the importance of being flexible in your birth plan, and how they can be an active participant in advocating for your goals in labor. Plus, we're going to talk about the household shift that happens once your babies arrive so that they know how to pick up the slack because you're going to be stuck on 100% baby duty. I want this time to be magical and joyous for your family, and so many times, so does your partner. They just don't know what to do or how to do it. So head to thebirthlounge.com backslash daddays, that's D-A-D-D-A-Z-E, to help your partner gain an understanding of the stages of labor and how they can help you navigate the hospital policy and still achieve your best birth. Again, that's thebirthlounge.com backslash daddays. See you there. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. All right, you guys, this month we are talking all about feeding your tiny human. I know that this is on your mind. I know that it is a point of stress and contention for a lot of people in their pregnancy because just like birth, there's a lot of horror stories out there about feeding tiny humans and quote-unquote failing to be able to breastfeed. Although, you know, I don't love the F word. I don't actually believe that you can fail at birth or you can fail at feeding your tiny human. But I definitely recognize and hold space that sometimes things don't go the way that we wanted or, you know, meet our expectations or live up to the idea of how we envisioned birthing or feeding our tiny human. So, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the the before milk, the 
not four milk because four milk and hind milk are actually part of breast milk. But today we're talking about colostrum. And bear with me because I've got a couple of did you knows coming your way. So did you know that your body actually begins to make food for your baby in the form of colostrum, so milk, before your baby is, is even here, before you're even in the third trimester? Did you know that the mechanism that tells your body to actually make breast milk for your baby after your baby gets here is the release and the detachment of your placenta? Did you know that you could hand express and possibly get something out of your breast before your baby is here? Did you know that you could do something called colostrum harvesting, where you actually take the colostrum that is formed in your breast before your baby gets here, so while you're still in pregnancy, hand express that, put it in colostrum tubes, freeze it, and take it to your hospital? Well, all of those are very, very true. All of that's true. Yeah, I wanted you to know about what happens in your body before your baby gets here in order to prep for your baby's arrival. I wanted you to know that just because it doesn't appear that your body is getting ready to feed your tiny human doesn't mean that it's actually not. Actually, the contrary. It almost always probably is. There are biological processes in our body that are going to um, be happening and be being done unbeknownst to us, right? We don't necessarily need to see it or feel it because your body has got it taken care of. That's one of the things we can just trust is happening. In today's episode, I get the special pleasure of sitting down with Gina Mate, who is an IBCLC and the mother of five, including twins. And she has special interest in helping people reach their breastfeeding goals, their nursing goals. And in addition to focusing on the breastfeeding basics, Gina also has a special love for lactation and prenatal education, tots or tethered oral ties, oral rehabilitation, and pumping. So you can see how Gina not only has a well-rounded education, but she also is here to help you meet your goals no matter what those look like. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking all about colostrum, how colostrum is real breast milk, what you need to know about harvesting colostrum before labor and in those first few days after your baby arrives while you're still in the hospital. What is the role of colostrum? Is there anything you can do to increase your colostrum? What do you need to know about expressing it and getting it to your baby if your baby is struggling to latch right after birth? Today's episode is super juicy, and for me, I think that it is one that is very, very important for anybody who plans to nurse their baby. It's super crucial that you understand the processes that are happening in our body so that we can work with those and not against them. A lot of times in the hospital, we find that 
their protocols or their processes or the things that they suggest may disrupt our body's natural processes. And if you know what that natural process is, you are much less likely to allow the hospital system or a medical professional that may not know as much as you interrupt that situation. So without further delay, Gina, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. I think that this is a conversation a lot of people don't know about. I think colostrum is something that, you know, a lot of people will find out in the hospital once they've had their baby or maybe way later, months after their baby is born. And it's really beneficial to know about these things kind of beforehand, what it is, how often we should do it, what are the benefits, when does it start? We're going to go over all of that. But before we dive into the juicy goodness, who are we talking to today? Like who's behind the microphone? I gave you a formal introduction, but like who, who's really here with us today? I'm obviously Gina and IBCLC. I have five kids, 10, almost nine, real twins and a six month old. So yeah, I've got a lot going on um, <laughs> I have, and I have also breastfed all of my kids only one of them had like supplementation here and there. And that was my first. Okay. So all of my kids have had pretty much nothing but breast milk. And I, I don't know what that was. <laughs> I learned quite a bit with my first and my second. And that's what led me to this path of helping moms and becoming an RBCLC. I have a degree in maternal child health Eventually, I do want to get my PhD in that field. Like, I just love it. I think it's so important to research and just, you know, up-to-date evidence-based information for moms so that we can do right by them because there's still a lot floating around (laughs) that is very inaccurate. And yeah, colostrum is one of them. (laughs) I think not only, you know, outdated things, but just straight up misinformation out there about breastfeeding. And also, you know, we don't live in a country that prioritizes breastfeeding at all. My community is very open to any way that you want to feed your baby, but that does not mean that we don't deny the benefits of breastfeeding that actually outweigh some of the risk, kind of depending on who you are for sure, of formula use, right? And there are great benefits that I think our country really misses on a federal level, but also write down individually to pediatricians who actually do have the power to make a difference. Now that you know better, start doing better, start telling your patients differently, start getting them the support to breastfeed. And we just don't have that. And they don't refer. (laughs) I've rarely come across, like we use a family doctor and he refers, they all, the NPs all refer and they even refer to me, which is really nice. But it's so uncommon. They're just like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. Perfect example. Somebody I just worked with the other day. Oh, your baby might have a tongue tie, but you're, you're exclusively pumping bottle feeding. It's, it's not a big deal. It's fine. This baby underweight couldn't transfer. I have, I took a video of it and I just like, could not believe what I was seeing. And like, this doctor told you that you don't need your baby's tongue tie release when it's obviously become a medical issue. That's how negligent it's becoming. Just, they don't want to refer out to the right providers and they're denying things that are right in front of their face. And it's just uh, the whole, oh, it's fine. Just give some formula. You can't tell the difference between the two. And it's just... (laughs) 
it's just like this whole, you know, snowball effect of things. Yeah, it's like you can absolutely tell the difference. Formula is a fine choice to choose if that's what you choose. Yeah. But don't choose it thinking that they're equal because they are two different things. They are two different choices. That's why you choose one over the other. Well, I mean, yeah. you can combo feed, you can do them together for sure. But that's why you have a choice is because they are different. If they were the same, it wouldn't be a choice. It'd be like, okay, we're, we just do them because they're the I same. Know. And then um, like the informed consent on like right. okay, the benefits and risks. And there shouldn't be any shame or anything behind that. It just, we need to have the evidence presented to us and given the right choices. And I support all moms and however they want to feed. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're not getting the right type of care. And it's just like, I almost feel like it's just getting worse. Maybe it's just me, but a lot of us, a lot of my colleagues and I talk about this a lot. It's very upsetting. I don't think Facebook groups make it any better. I could go off on this whole like thing. (laughs) So I won't even get started on like how upset I get at the things I see. I have to literally just leave groups because it's just so upsetting to see the misinformation that spread. And also just the pure lack of encouragement for people who do want to breastfeed, the number of people who switch the formula and they don't really want it, or they switch because they didn't really know any other option or nobody told them anything, but everybody told them about formula. They were looking for other information, but everybody only told them about formula. Or they didn't know like, oh, I could just pump instead. I've had people where they didn't know exclusive pumping was a thing. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I don't know why that people don't know that like but I feel like it's almost discouraged but if you want to give your baby breast milk um that's a totally okay way to do it or doing breast and bottle it's okay but there's a ton of ways to get breast milk in your baby it's just the fact of the matter is no matter where you fall on the spectrum our country does not support breastfeeding they just don't we don't have policies that support it we don't have a culture that supports it and we don't have an industry that supports it and that really is too bad yeah and I know that the pump act just came out but there's also things in it that aren't helping people that work in smaller companies if I I could be wrong but I think it's I'm trying to remember the number, but I am a little brain dead today. How many people work in the company that they could not get these pump breaks? And I can't remember the number. I want to say it's 25 or less. Mm. So if they're in a smaller company, they might not get the benefits of somebody that works for a corporation. And it's just like, there's, they find these little loopholes or everything to kind of screw moms over. I feel like they're just like, "Mm, well, (laughs) sucks to suck. (laughs) And it, it's awful. It's always like red tape, right? For especially mm-hmm. the the mom that wants to do breastfeeding as their sole way to feed their baby, maybe even exclusively breastfeeding. That's that's kind of the gold standard. It's like exclusively breastfeeding. That's what your baby is designed to do. It's what your body is designed to do. Thank goodness we have tools for sure. But I think if our country could do things better, that would be a place that we have a lot of growth to do. And we have countries that we can pay attention to as a thing. We've got countries that breastfeed and prioritize it and support it. And at their work. Oh my God. Breastfeed here, Patagonia does that. Wow. That's amazing. 
yeah, I that's the only company I know of so far, but I haven't paid too much attention to it. <laughs> but I know Patagonia does that. They have the daycare right at work so they can go check on the babies, breastfeed, do whatever they need to do. But yeah, I think that should be like the standard. I mean, yeah. it's so nice. I know not everybody wants that. I would, but yeah. I get it. If you don't want it, look, that's your thing for sure. But I agree with you. And that. And so this conversation started by something I so often hear in the hospital and it is misinformation. It is literally wrong. It's not just outdated. It's actually wrong information. And so if you're tuning into this, this is for the people who are planning to breastfeed or formula feed. It doesn't matter. This conversation is going to be applicable to you and your body. So Cheetah, let's start with that devilish comment I always hear. And it is, oh, well, we might just need to supplement your baby until your milk comes in. So first of all, your milk doesn't come in. There's a transition process from colostrum to what we, you know, think about as traditional breast milk, but your milk doesn't come in, quote unquote. Can you talk us through what colostrum is? It begins, you know, in pregnancy. So when exactly can we expect it? And why this comment is just so not it. Like you missed the mark <laughs> by a really, really long way. <laughs> yeah. So colostrum is actually produced anywhere from the 16 to 22 week mark in pregnancy. It's the endocrine control. There's four stages of the lactogenesis one, two, three, and four. Um, and the fourth one is involution where you're like, you have that 40 day period where you're just what they call drying up when you are done and all your hormones are starting to basically change and transition out of that. But that first stage is in pregnancy from 16 to 22 weeks. You might notice a change like fullness. I've had people be like, Oh my God, I'm leaking already. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm not even 20 weeks yet. Is that like, does that mean I'm going to have a lot of milk? Does that mean this? And I've had questions asking how to increase milk supply in pregnancy. And I'm like, so how it works. <laughs> so I send them like articles on like how milk production works. And I think that's one thing that people really need to research. And one thing I would say is more important than anything is a prenatal consult with somebody who's really good at what they do so that you get that right information and you're set up because statistically women who have prenatal consultations do better and they breastfeed for longer and they don't have as many struggles because they're prepared. So when you give birth, obviously, and you birth your placenta that triggers new hormones, right? So when that happens to basically kind of dumb it down it, by 30 to 40 hours postpartum, it starts to transition. And that's what I like to say, increasing in volume, transitional milk, which it is by, you know, that point and two weeks postpartum, it's transitional milk. It's transitioning from colostrum to mature milk. And then you're at two weeks and it's mature milk, basically. I mean, some people, every color of breast milk is different. So some people might have more like yellow or it might just be straight white. (laughs) But I think it's really important for people to know that there's always going to be colostrum there and you can harvest that in pregnancy to prepare if you, especially if you're at risk for anything, if you know that you're going to have a C-section or you have to be induced or there's health complications, your baby's born early, if there's any sort of health history, that's kind of a red flag. And that's why I bring up like the prenatal aspect of it because it's so important. 
So, so can we stop right there really quick? Yeah. I want to dive into something you just said. Your birth story can impact this, right? This transition mm-hmm. from colostrum to what we kind of think about as, as traditional milk. Talk to us a little bit about that induction you mentioned. Does an epidural impact things? Have an IV fluids impact things? You mentioned C-section. What about birth trauma? Nothing necessarily went wrong, but you walked away with birth trauma. Are we going to see these things impact? Yeah, yeah we are. Okay, yeah, what do we I need to know about that? I can story with my twins too. Yeah. It's the first time that ever took so long for my milk to really transition because normally it's day two for me. With the twins, it was almost day five. I had an unmedicated birth. I had them six minutes apart, but I was birth or I'm like, I don't want to say it, just mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> upset people, but I it was bad enough where I kicked the doctor in the face twice. Yeah. Let's some, just say that. some really severe obstetrical violence yes. and just assault all the way around. Yeah. And I had like, like 20. So it was very quick. It was like a two and a half hour labor start to finish. I got my vaginal breech birth too. That was great. Cool. There was a team for that that were a lot better than the first OB that came in that was basically pissed off that she had to come in. Um, It wasn't the doctor that I had who her and I were pretty good. Like, we're like, cool. Like we have a plan. She didn't think it was going to go that fast. They didn't wake her up. They got somebody else. She was mad. So because of that, I mean, I think that's part of why afterwards, this was also a first for me, my blood pressure was through the roof and they were, I had to be kept in labor and delivery for another eight hours before I could go to recovery. And because of that, by the time I got home, it wasn't until like day five is when I was finally like, okay, something's happening. (laughs) I couldn't believe it because I have never had an issue with that. So because of that, you know, I was pumping after and I was giving the colostrum that I had that way. During that time, I didn't do antenatal hand expression because, I mean, this was my third pregnancy. I was like, eh, I won't have an issue. And luckily I really didn't. They didn't lose really any weight, but it was the fact that I could tell they started to get very sleepy by day four. So thankfully another twin mom in the area gave me a couple bags and I gave them some of that. I was really just following their cues. I had them on my boob like 10 times a day, but I wanted to make sure that they were awake. So if I had to give some here and there, I would give like half an ounce here and there. So I barely used any, but I wanted that peace of mind. So uh, thinking back, I'm like, man, why didn't I do that? But I was going through finals and I was just stressed out. So (laughs) Uh, the day I started my master's, I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> so it was just very, a very stressful, like last month. And I'm like, when are these babies coming? I went to almost 40 weeks. So twins, so unusual. 39 and five. And they were, I love to hear stories like that. Yeah. I think women should hear stories like that to know that it can be normal. Yeah. I fought them. On it. I, I even went in on the 20th. I had them April 25th. I went on the 20th because I thought I was in labor and it just stalled out. And I was like, cool, I'm going to go home. And the, the nurse was great. She was like, yeah, just go home. Who cares? And I'm like, I like you. That's what I like to hear. Cause I was going to do it anyway. <laughs> I was leaving regardless. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, because I, I was having contractions and then they just stalled out. And I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I don't feel comfortable. I was listening to myself and I'm like, we're leaving. 
course I try to get talked out of it and they try to throw studies at me and I'm like, nice try. I know how to read studies. You're lying. I'm leaving. So <laughs> that's, with that said, like, I wish I would have done some hand expression during, but I also, it's going to sound bad. I'm not good at hand expressing myself. And I'm like, it just doesn't work very well for me. So with my last, I did it. I stored quite a bit, but I pumped because you know what, if sex can't put me into labor, then pumping is not going to, and it didn't do anything. <laughs> I yeah. heard a huge misconception with pumping and mm-hmm. late pregnancy compared to, I mean, I was in pretty late pregnancy when I did it, but it didn't do anything. It didn't cause contractions or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, my body's used to this. <laughs> all the babies I've breastfed, <laughs> but I did store it away and I used it here and there. And I didn't actually need to, cause things went really well with even the twins. They barely lost weight with him. He lost like six ounces. And then by a week old, he gained over a pound. So nice. <laughs> yeah. He's always been a fat, a little fat boy. Um, okay. So let's talk about the actual process of collecting it. You talked about hand expression. Once we get it out, um, well, I know what to do with it, but can you step us through kind of what we do with it? Um, there are different things that you can store it in. People have different options. You can buy things off Amazon. You can get stuff at your local drugstore. What do you recommend and how do you recommend people go about, um, and storing the colostrum until they have their baby? Yeah. So there's a few different options. I personally really like the Haka ones because you can't, they're wider. So I could just express into it um, or pour it in those and then you cap it and then you can take the other top of the cap off and feed it that way and warm it up. Those are my fave too. Yeah. I really liked it. I enjoyed those a lot. I just put them in a freezer bag and I dated the bag like when I collected it. And that was that. That was easy. With the syringes, you can get, you want to make sure you have the ones with the caps. Like you can get one, three, and five milliliters. And I would say just get the one or three milliliter ones. And then you can just collect it. You can, some people do like the, they'll put the haka on and do it. Or if they're already leaking, they'll, they'll put a collection cup in their bra. And then you can also, if you really cannot get hand expression down, try a hand pump because all that's doing is using pressure, just like you would sort of in a way hand expressing you're manually trying to work that out. Sometimes you can get really sore with that. So I want to tell people like use warmth, lymphatic massage, like anything oils that you can use to make it. So you're not sore. Cause I've had people tell me they're like, I bruised myself. It shouldn't, it shouldn't happen that way. You know? So if it's that hard for you, try a hand pump. It can't hurt anything. You could also try putting on like the little haka. I I personally am not a huge fan of those. They hurt me, but some people love them. I just think the pressure is too much. (laughs) So I'm not like a huge, huge fan of them, but they work for a lot of people. And then you can just kind of suck it up into the little syringe. And that's that. It's so easy. And then you just cap it and throw it in the freezer bag. Easy peasy. And then when you warm it up, you can just put it into a cup. And when you take it to the hospital, you just put it in an ice chest. You just take like a, a lot of our people take like a little lunch box and some people will fill it with like baggies of ice. And then some people just put like a little ice pack in there and it stays in there. And each hospital has different rules of whether they'll take it back there and store it for you. People will have different feelings about that, but you have got, you've got options. I feel like most often as if it's yours, they're like way more open to it. But if you have donor milk, they get weird about it, which weird. 
I don't get it. Yeah. But uh, someone that um, just had a baby, Kaya from Low Supply Mom, she she just had her baby and she had a whole post on like what she did to prepare to go to the hospital. Nice. Um, so I think that was really great that she did that. So people could check that out. She's like one of the people that kind of, I was watching her post and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so funny that like people will have, it doesn't matter how much colostrum you produce because you could have all this colostrum coming out and still technically if you were an IGT mom, you will still not have a full supply. So colostrum can trick people into thinking they might have Mm -hmm. a full supply. That's Mm -hmm. the other thing, which IGT is very, I would say it's not as common. I think it's becoming a little more common now because of all the hormonal issues, which is a whole other topic. I really think that hormonal birth control in our era, our age range has created a lot of issues for like a lot of moms with PCOS and oh it's a whole topic (laughs) um so IGT can you just define that for our audience it's where you have extra glandular tissue right it's um insufficient insufficient so you have you have none so you have some but you will it some people have hormonal issues like PCOS that cause mm-hmm. it, or there was some issue with their growth growing up that they have like really wide separated breasts and mm. or tubular or something like that, where there's like anomalies that way, anatomical anomalies. There's so many things that can cause it. So if you suspect something, if you have no breast changes in pregnancy, that's a red flag. I would mute somebody to prepare for that ahead of time, just because if you notice like literally no changes at all, you might have IGT. So that's something that people should really know because I Mm -hmm. I had clients where they're like, yeah, I have all these hormonal issues and I don't seem like I can have a full production. And I'm like, this makes sense. That's why health history is so important so that we know. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So colostrum can trick people if you have any like health history of things and you notice you your milk supply never ever increases after like the two week mark it could be a problem so that's why working with somebody who knows their shit is really important yeah (laughs) not just some random like instagram influencer who talks about breastfeeding I had to throw that in there. Sorry. I love that we even have to say that these days. Like, what in the world is, what is the world coming to? Okay. All right. I think this also highlights the importance of having support before your baby gets here. And I don't think a lot of people think that, right? Everybody's like, oh yeah, I have my IBCLC. Like I have a couple people on plane to call. And they're like, you kind of need to do it now, or at least take some sort of breastfeeding education so that you know what you're getting into. Breastfeeding, like we talked about in the beginning, it's not very supported in this country and it's very hard to seek out good, solid support. So you need to start early and you need to have a base knowledge of what is going on in your body. Just research. If this is something that you're like, I really want to do this, you need to start researching like now, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And like in the third trimester is when I always recommend. I usually say, if you know that you have to be induced, can't talk health complications, um, do it before 35 weeks, but after 35 weeks is fine so that you have that memory retention. 
so you don't forget all of these things. And obviously, like a, just a basic breastfeeding class is going to help. But you really want to vet everybody that you want to work with so that you know what they specialize in. Because there are some people who are better in some areas than others. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody in this field that's like good at everything. Yeah. Um, and there are there are like some complete wackos out there too. So yeah, there are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you got wackos in every industry. Okay, this is really, really helpful. So we have the colostrum. We know how to collect it. We know how to keep it in the freezer. Now we know how to take it to the hospital. How are we supplementing with that colostrum that we've collected? What does that look like? And for people who are trying to prioritize breastfeeding, talk us through the steps that it helps us avoid formula because I feel like this is something that a lot of people don't think about. If you want to prioritize breastfeeding, this is one of the ways you can get that off on the right foot, that feeding journey really started strong and avoid that formula use in the beginning, if that's important to you. Yeah. So one thing I want to mention is hand expression in the beginning, regardless, is actually going to help milk production a lot. So hand expression, nursing your baby 10 to 12 times a day, just keep your baby on your chest avoid the swaddle. I'm sorry. I know there's some people out there that love swaddles, but you can miss feeding cues. So baby skin to skin, nurse, nurse, nurse. And if you feel like there's a, an issue like low blood sugar, or your baby has jaundice, or your baby's having a really hard time because of ties or can't latch well, it's just very sleepy. This is the perfect time to really can express, feed that, or take what you have already um, harvested from uh, home and give that. So if your baby's very sleepy, you can actually give it beforehand. So they wake up a little bit and they're more, a little more eager at the breast when they don't fall asleep. So that's really helpful. And then obviously if you notice that your baby cannot latch and is having a really hard time, start pumping, just protect your milk supply and feed what you have pumped to your baby. Their stomach capacity is going to be small and work its way up. So they're actually not at full stomach capacity until a month. So their bellies are pretty tiny. While they can probably hold a whole freaking little formula bottle full that the hospital tries to give them, it doesn't mean it's right or normal and it's stretching their belly out and it hurts them. So it's like eating a four course meal. you don't need to do that in one sitting. Then your hospital staff will tell you, well, cranky baby is normal. And it's like, no, that baby has a belly ache because we overfed them. And like, oh, baby spit up is normal, which it can be, but that baby is spitting up because we just gave them two ounces and their belly is designed for literally a half ounce. Yeah, <laughs> a little tiny little of a cherry when they're yeah. born. So tiny. So that's two why... ounces. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, it's crazy because like, you, if you just keep your baby on you and you also, I like, I prepared myself ahead of time with him too. And I barely, I, you will be sore. <laughs> they call it the day two syndrome. Yeah. You can be sore. Some people aren't, and that's, that's normal. A lot of people are sore. That's also normal and it should go away, but get ahead of it by doing moist wound healing. I mean, I was slapping hydrogel pads on there immediately and I was just putting cream on and doing all the things. And I barely had any issues and he had, he's got ties. He got them released, but he pooped like four times on day one. I just kept him on me the whole time. By day four, there was like 30 to 40 boobs. So 
<laughs> but it's also my fifth. And obviously with each baby, you make more milk. So and it yeah. gets a little easier and you're a little it bit does. more confident and each baby is different too. Mm-hmm. So just because your second baby or third baby comes along and they're more difficult than your first or second, that's also normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, little less normal, but each baby is different. Yeah. And you know what? My twins were probably my hardest and they were three, baby three and four, (laughs) same time, obviously, but they were very difficult because one was a lot bigger than the other. They both had ties. One had ties worse than the other functionality wise. So Isla did not do well until we got her fully released. And it was just a huge mess for the first three and a half months. So It can be really hard, uh, but you do go confident and you do know what resources to look for. So that's why I tell everyone, don't wait until like it happens, get prepared ahead of time and have all of your resources. So you know what to do and just really build that. I mean, this country doesn't really let you build confidence very well. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like... Like, oh, you're going to breastfeed? Just Mm. figure it out. Just, (laughs) yep. Well, good luck. (laughs) All right. Wow. This isn't fantastic. Okay. I do have one final question. If, if you're having trouble latching, if you find that your baby has a tongue tie and you're waiting for revisions or you're trying alternative things like chiropractic, whatever your story is, if you don't have a solid latch and a strong latch and something that you feel confident in, Tell us kind of quickly what the benefits of hand expression would be or not if there aren't any. Yeah, no, there's always benefits to hand expressing. And if you can't do it, that's where I would pump because it you want to make sure that you're stimulating and you're driving your supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say like you always have to, you know, feed the baby, protect the supply. So if something like that happens, make sure that you immediately contact someone who knows what the heck they're talking about and they know how to handle the situation. So there can be so many things with this topic. It can, it can kind of get all jumbled up, but birth impacts it. You know, if it's a traumatic birth, baby can be really sore. So create a team, Mm. have your IBCLC body worker. I love CFT, CST, love it chiropractic care with that too is great. And then, you know, make sure that you're protecting your supply and you're feeding your baby, have a plan. So if your baby in the beginning is one of those situations, I haven't not, okay. So I've helped lots of moms and I've only had probably like five babies that were like tied to the tip pretty bad where they were really struggling. So we had the moms pumping right away in that situation but if your baby's really falling on and off, it's hard. You have to figure out different things to help them stay on the breast and it gets a little complicated, but hand expression in the hospital, if you notice something is off, just start doing it. You know, those 10 to 12 times a day is really important. It really drives your supply to what it needs to be. And that's where that colostrum can come in <laughs> really, really handy. So you can, you're not falling behind on everything. So you keep that stimulation going, which is only going to produce more milk, which is awesome. That's the goal. Okay. So stay out of Facebook groups. That means where (laughs) can people find your support? How can people work with you courses, classes, Oh, you know, one-to-one consults, what kind of things do you have for the people so that they can take advantage of your IBCLC knowledge? So I am kind of working on courses that my friend and I are trying to figure that out. We tried to launch it and we got a lot of feedback, but not a lot of signups. So 
I would say like for me, I'm most active. I really don't like Facebook. I'm not gonna lie. I barely get on there. So don't look for much on my page because it's <laughs> it's not I hate Facebook. Instagram, <laughs> I'm always on there. I'm always quick to respond. I do take some insurances, do super bills for everyone that pays out of pocket. I accept FSA, HSA. I work with you. If I have moms that are on like state insurances or TRICARE, I give a discount obviously, because I was prior military too. So I have to do that for my people. And I, I refuse to get in that work with them as much as <laughs> I even have tracker, but I hate them. But yeah, so I'm most active on there. I'm very active on Instagram. It is the only place I really like for social media. I'm working on classes and courses. I just really got to get caught up. <laughs> Having a baby this year is kind of you know, obviously slowed me down for the better. <laughs> Do you have a website people can visit? Yeah, it's nourishholisticlactation.com. Cool. And I am currently vamping it up, but all of my contact information is on there. So I have people reaching out all the time. And I have a resource list for locals, but if I don't take any of your insurance and you need to use your insurance, I can find people. So it's not hard for me to find people. I don't mind. I don't have an ego to feed to like where I'm like, you know, you need to work with me. I will help you find people. I don't care. So I love to hear it. <laughs> yeah. I love having a resource list local. So I will be working on one for like other websites to find people as well. So nice. All right, cool. All about the access. I love that. Gina, this has just been so fantastic. We started with the topic of colostrum and we got into IGT and we got into tongue ties and we got into, you know, empowering yourself as a mom and a parent to make the decision that's right for you. You can breastfeed in this country that does not do a great job of supporting breastfeeding moms. I promise the support is out there. It takes a little bit more of digging and like a headache to find it. And that's just because that's actually a lot of things. We don't have time to detail. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you, you got a lot of things working against you, but you have a lot of things working for you too. And the community of breastfeeders is so, so strong. And there yeah. is such deep, like ancestral like knowledge mm -hmm. that is passed down. So seek out an IBCLC that's in your community. If you don't know somebody, Gina can help you. I can help you. There are, yeah. yeah, there are other resources online like Leilichi League. You have got the resources. So don't be afraid to reach out and ask and say, I am planning to breastfeed. I am looking to get started and like how to plan and prepare. And Jean and I can help you. Yes. Happy. <laughs> this is awesome. Thanks for being here, everybody. As always, I have loved hanging out with you. If you are listening to the podcast, head over to YouTube and check out Gina and I's beautiful faces. <laughs> if you are watching on YouTube, head over to the podcast and give it a re-listen. I will see you next week. Until then, bye, y'all. Hey, before you go, I wanted to let you know that the doors to the Birth Lounge are officially open. You can join the Birth Lounge at thebirthlounge.com to find the best 
childbirth education on the internet. It is comprehensive care. There is no agenda. I'm truly stepping you through any birth plan that you want to make, whatever feels good to you, because my goal is not to help you have one type of birth over the other. Instead, I want to help you have a birth free of birth trauma because I know that that sets you up for a lifetime of success. So much birth trauma is avoidable and it can actually be avoided in your labor if you do specific things or if you avoid certain things. I want to teach you what those certain things are. We know that you cannot plan out how your birth is going to go, but you absolutely can be prepared. And that means being prepared for anything that comes your way. So inside the birth lounge, I am going to teach you unmedicated childbirth coping mechanisms, but I'm also going to talk to you about medicinal options. I also want you to understand what normal physiological labor looks like so that you know what's normal, but I also want you to understand what's abnormal. So I'm going to teach you the common complications that sometimes pop up or the roadblocks or pivots that people encounter during the birth process. I also am going to teach your partner everything that they need to know to be helpful during labor. And I mean actually be helpful, not just sit on the couch and say, you're doing a great job, babe. I'm going to teach them pain relief strategies, how to advocate for your goals, how to offer you options, and how to truly take care of you in labor so that, again, you can avoid birth trauma. Join the birth lounge at thebirthlounge.com to have an informed labor where you feel confident navigating hospital policy and advocating for your goals. Again, that is thebirthlounge.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.